welcome to the Win Daily PGA live stream. It is Sia Najad here with you. It is Draftmaster Flex. It doesn't look like Nick Brettwish at Six Picks is going to be joining us tonight. I think he's going uh, doing the uh, Better Golf Pod right now, which is a, another good podcast everyone should listen to. But Joel, how are you doing? And I want you to answer, and I want you to have last year in mind when you answer that question. So I'm going to give you my Abraham answer. And <laughs> nice. <laughs> and my Abraham answer is it's it's a weird feeling. You know, I have some it's good. I mean, listen, I still did win a lot of money, even though I got I lost out on 150k last year. So like it's a bittersweet feeling because it was still a win, but like I felt like I should have won a lot more. So I, I have all sorts of feels with this tournament. My main mentality going into the week is I'm coming to get what's mine. They owe me, money and I'm coming to get it. So for those of you not dialed into what Joel is talking about or what I tweeted about about an hour ago. So Joel was in first place. Uh, Joel, remind me, was it a showdown or was it the, the week long? It was a showdown. So It was Sunday showdown. Sunday showdown. And he was in first place and would have won first place. Uh, and I, I think the, the two-stroke penalty, if, if I recall, was, was kind of done after the fact, right, Joel? It was in other words, it wasn't in real time. It was over. Correct. Okay. So what happened was... Joel, as he usually does, uh, and he's done it since this time quite a few times, was in first place with $200,000 in his DraftKings wallet, if you will. And then because of camera work and things of that nature, and I guess partly because Ron was going to win anyway, and they, they knew they weren't going to create too much controversy, they went ahead and assessed John Rahm a two-stroke penalty because his ball moved slightly when it was in the rough um, on a, the par 316th. And that two-stroke penalty bumped Joel here with me today from 200000 to 50000 So it's interesting because, you know, it's good news, bad news, right? You still won 50000 And since that time, you've won a lot, which we've chronicled on this WindailySports.com show. But with that said, I have to ask you before we talk about the memorial and before we get into the player pool. And by the way, I might be peppering you with questions like this kind of throughout the show because the psychology of this is so interesting to me. When did you see you had won the 200,000? Were you monitoring it in real time? Like I know some people like me, we wait until the tournament's over and then I, I want to check. I don't necessarily, if I know I'm way up there, I sometimes don't want to check and see that I was in first and dropped before. So it sounds by your head nod, you were watching it the whole time. And after the 18th hole was, was completed, here you are. Tell, take me to that point where you're like, oh, I just won $200,000. Well, it's funny. That day happened to be um, a day I was at my family's house. So I had like an audience with me. We were all watching. I was following. So I was like, listen, there's about, you know, whatever it was, four or five holes to go. I am really in contention. I was looking good. Like, so the whole room comes in. And so if you can imagine, right, a whole bunch of people watching a golf tournament, there's no volume on the TV. So as I've been told from my friends afterwards, they were talking about potentially assessing the penalty on the broadcast. But I wasn't hearing any of that. All mm -hmm. I saw was the tournament was going on. It wasn't assessed. And I'm like, I'm good. I'm going to win the tournament. Like, the celebration was happening. Like, it was a, it was a lot. It was I was so excited. And also, like, this was still the very beginning of my um, hot streak. So, you know, my family and everything was like, how are you winning this? Like, it was a whole new <laughs> thing to everybody. Um, and then it was not until, like, right when the tournament ended where a few of my friends, I still didn't see it myself. So I texted me like, oh, no, I think they're going to reverse it. And I go, reverse what? Because I still didn't hear them yeah. talking about it. So I'm like, reverse what? And then I, they were like, "There's there, he may have had a penalty where he you know, touched the grass and may have moved the ball. And it was like completely meaningless. He was going to win the tournament either way. It almost felt like they were just assessing it 
because he was going to win either way and it wouldn't have made a difference. And so then that penalty – and the funny thing about it is if they had just paid out – so like, let's say they waited a day and then assessed mm-hmm. the penalty, I would have won the 200000 So Jeff Kings would have paid it out and it wouldn't have reversed. But since they did it like you know 15 minutes after the tournament, then they changed the scores and, and I ended up dropping the second. So how long did it take for you to find out you had dropped from 200K to 50K? So I found out that they were going to do the penalty maybe 30 minutes after the tournament ended, but they didn't adjust it on DraftKings for another hour. So you can imagine I'm sitting there for an hour just refreshing my phone like, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? And then finally it switched. Were you – so this is interesting. Were you able to decipher that if they had assessed it that you would fall to second? Because I think some people would be like, I'm not sure about the math here. I might fall to fifth and it might be like, you know, $15,000. Like how does that – did you know? You know, I, I, I do a lot of – it's probably not healthy, to be honest, but I do do a lot of tracking the tournament while it's live. So mm-hmm. I already knew, like, that penalty would have dropped the because it would have been a bogey, which would have lost me points, and I would have – I saw what would have happened. I knew it would have dropped me. So – but you knew that – did you know you had 50K in the bank no matter what? Yeah, that I knew. So, like, okay. you know, my – you know, my, it's funny. My mom was talking to me about it, and my mom's like – so are you losing a two hundred k? I'm like, well, no. Either way, I'm winning a lot of money, so we don't need to be concerned. But I would have preferred to one two hundred k than just the fifty. But either way, I'm going to be winning money here. That that is really interesting. So your perspective on that was actually super healthy. And, and correct me if I'm wrong. You got some media attention from this, right? Because my understanding is that Wind Daily Sports and Jason Mizrahi sort of found you from this story like this story kind of popped up and jason's like oh this and then we kind of found out your prowess in in the pga dfs realm which was kind of it was kind of a new thing for you that you had taken up among some of the other sports you had already sort of partaken in but w- w- with that said just tell me about the media attention who, who how did how did your name even get out there yeah it's funny i didn't know that the media attention would come i i woke up the next day um and i just read different i read a lot of action network and things like that and the like headline at a lot of places, like the newspapers, Action Network was meaningless penalty costs better one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And I was like, that poor bat. I was like, oh wait, no, that's me. <laughs> and then it took me a minute to realize, like, it's like you know, you wake up every morning and like you, you read the same articles, you go to the same places, and so I'm reading them. Oh man, that, and then I'm like, oh my god, wait, they're talking about me. This is wild. So then, you know, yeah, it started getting attention. People started contacting me and. And then luckily I, I got to, to win daily. So, you know, it all it all worked out in the end, but I would still take my 150000 if I could. And since that time, you have taken that and then some. T- tell me, I'm trying to remember, between that point in time where you won the 50000 it should have been 200000 and right now, I know you've hit big in NBA. I think NFL as well and golf. What's maybe your top two, if you can remember off the top of your head, your top two or three big biggest wins since that time, which I think was last July 2020. Yeah, I've had a, a, a pretty big NBA takedown, uh, 100,000 tournament in January. And I've since had, uh, you know, close to probably five to 10 other $50,000 wins. The The sad thing for me is, you know, I'm kind of like a showdown specialist. Like that's my spread and butter. And during quarantine last year, when this tournament was happening and things like, you notice this tournament had a $200,000 first prize for Sunday showdown. You don't see that as much anymore. I right. think it's because, you know, baseball, basketball, there's a lot of competing sports, so it's hard to fill up these bigger tournaments. So 
Tad, for me, is it, there, there's just fewer opportunities to hit those big jackpots that I like to chase um, just because, you know, golf isn't the premier sport anymore, even though it is for us and it should be for everyone, but DraftKings doesn't view it that way. Yeah, so it's interesting because the moment we met you, I mean, you, you, Jason, found you, you came on SiriusXM with us and spoke about this very thing a little bit. And then, of course, immediately we're on the PGA telecast. But your attitude about this was so positive from like the jump. And I just I feel like people like myself and like 99.9% of the population, we would have done the woe is me thing. Yeah, we would have kept playing and stuff, but I just think we would have felt so snake bitten that I don't know that because of that, the negativity that's associated with being snake bitten, I don't know that we would have been able to like hit those big jackpots that let that you've hit the hundred K in the NBA, the, the 50,000 here, 50,000 there. I, can, and I know this is, sounds like kind of like a contrived question, but like, how do you keep a positive attitude immediately after that and kind of stay focused on, on just making DFS lineups, regardless of the sport? Because I genuinely feel like a lot of people would be like, uh, this I mean, yeah, I won 50000 but this is such BS. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know if I can handle this. One of my, my personal biggest strengths and weaknesses at the same time is my ability to truly convince myself of something, right? So I, you know, obviously was pretty, you know, not pleased that I lost kind of $150,000. But, um, you know, I had always, like, dreamed of getting involved with a site like Win Daily and, you know, getting these other opportunities that, that kind of opened the door for me. So... Well, yes, I do miss the money, and I'm, I'm a little bitter about that. Uh, I was able to kind of use it as an opportunity to get to other places that I otherwise maybe wouldn't have. So um, I just try to take the positives, of the, all the positives of it that I could, and you know, one step at a time. I did, and I will say, I did say after that happened that I don't know how long it takes me. I'm going to find a way, itch and crawl my way back to earn that 150k back, and I've done that and more so. So I'm not, I'm not too upset. That's awesome, and and, and to to just to kind of codify the record here so you've been on the pga live stream with us you've been on sirius xm fantasy sports radio plenty of times with plenty more to come just a couple weeks ago you were in fox sports philly with our very own john jansen so like you are definitely peppering the airwaves and it's just a credit to your attitude i, I think that's super cool but i think it's probably time we transition to the players that joel is going to pick and myself that are going to get him that 200k back that was kind of taken from him 150k that was I genuinely kind of feel like it was taken from you, to be honest with you. Not by DraftKings, but uh, really by just the the soft rules that really, frankly, if it wasn't like a 5K camera that happened to be honed in on the leader, like that's the really injustice here. The the injustice here is that Rom was the leader uh, among these 120 people that were playing. And of course, the camera is going to be on him. If you had that camera on every single player that happens to be in the rough, and a ball barely moves. I mean, his club face was not like on the ball. It was like a few inches from the ball, maybe a couple inches from the ball, and it moved. And it just seems so inequitable to assess a guy who happens to have the camera on him with this like brilliant cinematography or whatever you want to call it. It it doesn't seem fair. So I'll give you kind of the last word on that. Imagine if a camera was constantly following Patrick Reed around. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. You right. would never finish around. You would make a hundred. I mean, every and now I'm joking. I'm teasing Patrick Reed. He obviously gets a, a bad reputation, but my point is like you noticed it happened to Abraham Anter a few months ago in a sand trap. They assessed the penalty. It's not mm -hmm. right. I barely even in the video that I saw, I could barely see where he hit it. If you were to examine every player through every round, you it's not equitable. It's not even. You can't just assess the guys that happen to be on TV. Um, if it was obvious, if it was like, yeah, he clearly hit the ball, that's one thing. But these, like, 
very nuanced, like barely could be something. It shouldn't be assessed as penalties. And, and I think that's something that, that, that golf could fix. I think it's pretty clear that there are certain rules in golf that are like pretty arbitrary. Like you can you can do do a practice putt and and accidentally hit your ball while you're doing the practice putt, and because you didn't have the, the intent to hit it, you can just kind of put it back. I think we saw that a few months back. Yeah. And it's like I mean these rules don't really match up. If the intent isn't there, and if the whatever the infraction was didn't actually help you in any way, then. I don't really see why you're going to assess somebody a two-stroke penalty, especially under those circumstances where there's not cameras on everybody. So, all right, that's it. Let's go to the memorial. But I do want to say hi to some people who wanted to say hi to us. S guy, a loyal follower. And we've got another what's become a loyal follower. And I'm trying to remember his name. I think he was or is in our Discord under the name O'Shea, I believe he said. It's my one of my best friends, Austin, 150K Ouch. Brutal break from Cowabunga. Lorraine says hello. And... Here we go. What a story. If you come back and win 200K at Memorial this weekend, no pressure. Okay, with that in mind, we are in Dublin, Ohio. We are at the Memorial Tournament. We have a par 72, 7,500 yards. You know, I, I don't want to get too much into sort of the nuts and bolts of the field because we have the articles up there. And frankly, it's Tuesday night. Most of the people listening to this show are probably three or four podcasts deep. And, and so they, they kind of understand what this is. But I, I will say this, the rough is going to be penal here. The fairways are very gettable. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, you, you it's, it's not easy to keep it in the fairway. I mean, some of them have narrowed because of the renovation, but I'm looking for guys who are accurate so that the second shot is from the fairway. I'm looking at all approach proximities, but particular with some particular emphasis on 150 to 200 there's going to be a few more 150 to 175 a few more 175 to 200 than tour average and the and the other thing but you can look at just general approach numbers if you want you don't have to narrow it down but it's just a, a couple um extra minutes maybe on those proximities but the, the one thing i did want to point out joel the, the greens are pretty small and the conditions here and the way this is set up around the green game is definitely going to be a factor so this is one of the first tournaments like in my modeling i didn't tick it up too much it's not like I put like 25% on around the green, but I did tick it up a little bit more than I normally do. And I have the numbers there. So even if the percentage is off, I can at least see and appreciate, okay, who's top 60 in this field, for example, and around the green, who's top 12, who, whatever, whatever I want to go by. Did you focus on around the green game as well? And if not, where was the primary focus? So actually around the green game wasn't my primary focus this week. Uh, definitely not something I, I definitely something I think should be taken into account. Not something I think mm -hmm. not, Consider, but my main focus was on approach as always. Yep. Fairways gain. So the big difference here yep. is I didn't want to just look at distance because if you look at just off the tee, you're going to get a lot of long hitters, but it's going to be really important to be accurate this week. You want to be in the fairways. Like Sia said, it's going to be penal in the rough. Um, so it's fairways gain was, was a big factor. And then as always for me, <clears> something <throat> new that I'm, I'm tinkering in is three putt avoided. So I'm trying to eliminate those guys that can blow up on the putting greens. Uh, and really just find those guys that are going to really strike their irons well, be accurate with the tee, and then not implode on the, on the putting green. Yeah, and by the way, the putting greens are fast. So even though the, they are smaller green complexes, I mean, there is implosion capability here. So that three-putt avoidance thing, I, I, I don't usually add that in, but I, I think I might start. So at least give it just a, a few percentage points. So at the very least, I can kind of see it and see how the players factor in with that. Um, I think that's all we need to say about the course, to be honest with you. One thing I want to point out, I think the intuition for most people when they think of off the tee, they're, they're thinking, well, that must be 50% distance and 50% accuracy. Well, that's not how it's weighted. 
Okay, so you need to understand the reason why Joel is saying something like fairways gained, which which might be kind of a, a concept people aren't super familiar with. Essentially, what that's saying is, you know, guys who are keeping it in the fairway and, and percentage by which they are keeping it in the fairway relative to the field. So keep that in mind that off the tee is, is, is really going to tell you kind of a skewed story. And that that skew is more towards distance. So uh, with all that in mind, I don't think we need to talk about the course uh, any longer, really, let's just get into this elite range. And, and Joel, I really wanted to ask you about this elite range because when I look at the 10K and above guys on DraftKings, I don't really like any of them. It, it, I don't like their value. Um, I, I see that each of them has inefficiencies in a certain area that like, I'm sort of focused on. So I understand that the, they're the best guys in this field, but I also understand you can go down to the 9K range and get guys that are very comparable to this 10K and above range. So I'm hoping that within the next two minutes, you convince me that, hey, it's John Rahm, dog. Like, let's go. It, John Rahm is the guy or Bryson is the guy because if he's in the rough, he's going to he's gonna be the guy to get it out of the rough. And, you know, whatever you want to say, maybe it's Jordan Spieth. Who in this 10K range and above are you liking? So it's, uh, it's funny. There, there's one guy, again, I'm going back to who uh, is kind of number one in my mouth by a good margin. And it's Colin Morikawa. Um, Colin Morikawa has been, you know, even though, you know, it, it's almost like we want to say he disappointed last week. Um, but I mean, he still got a top 15, so it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't so bad. Um, but he's he's absolutely murdering the field in his approach numbers. He's very accurate off the tee, which, he, which will serve him well here. Um, he's going to need to make few putts, as always. You're going to have to make some putts to win a golf tournament. But it's kind of like, you know, everything else about Morikawa's game is adding up, and it's just, you know, can he sink some putts this week? And, you know, he doesn't implode every week putting. There's some weeks. So if this is the week where he, he gets the putter right, then I think uh, he wins the tournament. Now, also in this range, you know, I agree with you. I think what we're seeing is that these are the best golfers in the world. But that second tier golfers, I think, is just closer to the top tier than they used to be. And mm -hmm. so I, I totally get your point in that. I'd rather just go that second tier because I can just build way more intriguing six-man lineups instead of having to rely on one of these top guys to win the tournament. Now, the, the couple of pieces of data points I will just touch on is that, well, John Rahm has been playing his best golf. He's unbelievably accurate off the tee. So if you want to buy into the narrative that you need to hit fairways, John Rahm is, you know, hit fairways. That's what he does. That's what he's the best at in the world. So, you know, that's something that's why this course is well. That's why he won it last year. He should compete again this year, in, in my opinion. And, you know, it's it, I, I had a laugh about it earlier today. It's funny how much Jordan Spieth has turned things around. I mean, he's competing mm -hmm. in every tournament. To say the same here and say you're going to fade Jordan Spieth, it's just not a good idea. Now, because of his price tag, it doesn't mean you have to hammer him in because he really kind of has to really win the tournament to pay off. So I'm not saying you have to play Jordan Spieth, but he should at least be on your radar, something you're thinking about because he's missing right Yeah, you broke up there a little bit at the end, but you were talking about Jordan Spieth. And I have a, just a follow-up question for Well, for a follow-up comment about Jordan Spieth. First of all, he's hitting fairways. Like, he's not hitting fairways, like, at a rate that you'd want him to hit fairways. But, you know, that was his his weakness. That was his the, the thing you were like. And, and on this course, you're going to want to hit fairways. So I actually think, you know, when I go over this list, I feel like Jordan Spieth and Colin Morikawa are both up there. I think Jordan Spieth has the more well-rounded game because Colin around the green and with the putter – it's pretty shaky. You know, we used to think in that in that young crew of, of Matthew Wolf, Victor Hovland, and Colin Morikawa, we used to think, well, Hovland, he just has the worst short game. Well, his short game is actually better than Colin Morikawa's now. So it's kind of one of those things where I'm a little worried because you have the putter issue and you have the around the green game issue. But with that said, I mean, 
he rated out eighth in my model, which for Colin Morikawa, it's probably not great, but it's still it's still pretty good. It, it was the around the green game and the putter that held him back. And uh, that is a concern of mine. Let me ask you about one more guy that you're usually an advocate for. Roy McElroy. You know, he's going to be kind of under-owned. What I mean by that, he'll probably be in that sort of 10% range. So in this, in this elite range, he's likely to be the lowest owned guy, is, is my guess. Uh, with that in mind, it, you, do you take a shot at Roy? I mean, last tournament out, he, he wasn't very good, but he won the tournament before that and it was a miscut before that. So I'm not 100% sure where his game is, but he has the new swing coach. He's won since he's had the new swing coach. He's had a few weeks off. He's Rory McIlroy. He's had success on this course before. Is is he worth in a single entry, for example? If I'm doing three single entries, does one of them have Rory McIlroy in it, or do I just avoid that and maybe throw him in some three maxes? Um, I like Rory a lot this week. Um, here's my reason why. He won a tournament. He became America's sweetheart again. He went, <laughs> we went to the PGA, and everyone play Rory. He's back. He's the most expensive player. Everyone was on him. And he disappointed. But let's take a, if we take a deeper dive into why he disappointed and how that looked, his approach numbers were beautiful. I mean, he crushed the ball. So it wasn't like he was missing. It wasn't like he lost that stroke. Uh, Rory couldn't putt, right? And, and you know, I'm not saying – I'm not giving Rory an endorsement of being a great putter. That's, you know, obviously you need to make some butts. But Rory's not like, you know, Morikawa where he's constantly having this issue with his putter. Right? He just had a bad week putting. If Rory had a good week putting – he would have been another top 15, top 20, definitely. So mm-hmm. um, the, my other, other concern with Roy this week is accuracy off the tee. He has been a little wild off the tee, and here is not that's not going to help him. But if he keeps it in fairways this week, I think he's going to contend very much so. So I like Roy. I think it's a good way, especially to get different, too, with a really good golfer. Yeah, I think that's the approach. I mean, if you talk about the 10K guys and above, every single one of them, in my opinion, if you actually look at the metrics, has a problem. Like Kyle Morikawa, we love, great ball striker, but he does have a problem with the short game. And, and Bryson DeChambeau, his approaches have been pretty bad lately. John Rahm, equipment change. You know, some of these proximities that we're concerned with on approach, that they're, they're a little shaky. So you can make an argument against anybody. You can find something. But with Rory, he's so well-rounded that I think you're right. Like if there was some, if there was somebody in this range to kind of like run away with it, in my opinion, it would be Rory, and it would be a result of him keeping it in the fairway. It's a big if, but I'm just saying, if he keeps it in the fairway, his game all around. I mean, I'm trying to convince myself at this point because I actually think it's you, you made such a good argument. I, I think Rory might be the guy I, I might end up going with. I might I might pepper in maybe some John Rahm and, and, and Jordan Spieth, but I think Rory might be my guy in this range. No, and, and I say that, and this is a perfect segue to the 9K range. If I'm making 20 lineups, 10 of them are going to start in the 9K range, maybe 12. You know, maybe 13, something like that. So while I'm saying I, I like Rory and while I'm saying I might take a shot at Jordan and John Rahm, that's not a lot of shots because I'm, I'm starting a lot of my lineups in the 9K range. So with that said, let me just tell you who I like in this range. We've got – I'll start from the bottom up. we got Scotty. we got Patrick Reed, Tony Finau, Corey Connors, Decky, Patrick Cantlay, Xander Schauffele, Victor Hovland. I don't think I can jump on this, this Xander bus. I, I think I'm kind of done with that. But the guy I'm not done with that also frustrates people in, in, in kind of an equal share, equal way is Patrick Cantley. Cantley, I, I can I can be on because I saw the bounce back last tournament. He's got great history on Jack Nicklaus courses. He's got great history here. He just seems like a like we might be getting him sort of on the rise. And you know, Xander's solid, but he's just I just feel like he's more name recognition than actually, you know, finishing position. So give me Hovland, give me, give me Patrick Cantlay. 
I think I might be off Corey Connors. I'm considering Tony Finau. And those are kind of my three guys that I like. I like Victor, Patrick, and Tony Finau. Um, what say you about those three? And, and who else do you like? Yeah, I uh, I love those. I think I am on Connors. Um, I think this course shapes up really well for, for him. Uh, and I think it, you know, with his accuracy, uh, I think he can have a really good week. I love Finau this week. So, you know, I'm with you on that. And the one guy in this range, I, I like him. So I'm with you on that. I think we're in a lot of alignment. I, I'm not going to be too high on Xander. The one guy you didn't mention that I, that I happen to like a lot this week is Hideki. Yeah. Um, you know, Hideki is striking the ball really well. Um, I will say, you know, I would have liked him a little bit more with maybe $500 cheaper. Um, but, you know, in this tournament, the way he strikes the ball, I feel like he can win, you know, any week right now. When he, you know, he sinks a few putts, you know, he's going to be right there. So uh, I think this range, I, I like the way you, your strategy, is you can start your your builds in this range and be and make some really competitive lineups. The only thing this week that I will throw in is, and I'm sure we'll get to later on, there are some really, really undervalued guys down in the yes. 6K range yes. that can help you build if you want to get some of these more elite guys. So we'll get to that later, but the pricing this week is a little a little weak from DraftKings. Yeah, it's it's well, we'll talk about this that low 6K range because there's not just one. I think there might be two or three guys that, that are that are mispriced. One's an obvious misprice of it, and so we'll get there with that. But the the one kind of pushback there is about the elite range. You're right. You can you can take those guys that shall remain remain nameless for the, like the one or two people that like don't know who we're talking about yet. <laughs> but but what you can do is you can pair that with your Rory's if you want. But the cool thing is, is you can also pair them with a couple more of the 9K guys. You know what I'm saying? Like so so while you can like dive into that elite range freely because of the the the, the discounts we're getting the 6K range, you can also just dabble more in that 9k range or that upper 8k range just to have like different builds that kind of thing so I, but i see your point there uh victor hovland is, is he on your radar i mean obviously he's going to be popular it looks like he's going to be probably close to 20 percent. does that get you off of him because he's probably i should say most definitely going to be the most popular guy with maybe tony finau being a second place uh what, what's your take on that so I'll, I'll share a little exercise that i do about with ownership percentage each week I build my lineups probably either Tuesday night or Wednesday morning before, you know, the final ownership percentages come out. Uh, once I have everything that I like set <clears> in, <throat> then I look at the ownership percentages and it won't, I'm not going to eliminate someone because I don't, if I like someone and they're highly owned, I'll just scale back because, you know, it gives me a betting advantage, but I still mm -hmm. want them in my lineup because if I like someone and they're highly owned and they ain't go out and win the tournament, I'm just looking at myself like, why did I remove them? I liked them to begin with. Everyone else liked them. There's a reason everyone liked them. So, um, that's my thought process is I wait till Wednesday night. And then when I see, you know, higher percentage than I would have liked, then I just scale them back some, but does not mean I will remove them at all. So with, with Hovland, he's 100% in my lineups. I would say I have them, uh, maybe at about, you know, probably in about 20% of my lineups right now. Uh, if that number stays at where it is, I'd probably keep them about 20, uh, maybe scale back a little bit, but I do like Hovland a lot. Uh, I just don't like him as the highest owned guy. Right. And, and I will say this. One thing you have to understand, like uh, Joel and I's per perspectives are a little bit different. I'm more willing to take some chalky guys because I'm playing mostly like single entry and three maxes, whereas Joel is, is doing the 150 max for the most part. So kind of keep that in mind in our Win Daily Discord, which everybody should be a part of at this point. It's it's really inexpensive just to do join WinDailySports.com if you match us up against really like 
anybody. Um, but more importantly, like we're really active in there asking questions to the questioners. And what I mean by that is they might say, hey, hey do you like this guy? And our question, you know, well, do you like this lineup? And our question back is, well, where are you entering it? You know, we, we kind of have to have that information or we're not really giving you an informed answer. So when you have a Victor Hovland in a single entry or, and you have him paired with another like chalky guy, like we'll probably get to, let's say, uh, a Charlie Hoffman, for example, who's a, who's a good price or Keegan Bradley. Have them both in single entry if you want. That doesn't mean it needs to be like you don't want it to be all chalk, but you can have a few chalky guys in a single entry, even a three max get different, you know, maybe one or two other places with a 5% or something like that. But in the, in the you know, the big tournaments that Joel is entering, that Sicily Kid is entering, um, you, you're going to have to like find ownership leverage in more places than you would in, in a single entry. So understand that as well. Oh, and look at this. Look at this. See, compliments play well on this PGA live stream. Thank you, Ivan. And look, we got something here. Plus one for the Wind Daily Discord community. Cowabunga, very active in Discord. This guy is great. And did I show this one already? Yeah, I did. All right. I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of like making sure Joel knows that she's <laughs> on, dog. Sorry about that. Okay, so let's move because I took up so much time with the um the first 15 minutes, which is telling that story, which is freaking fantastic, by the way. Let's go to the 8K range. There's a lot of guys I really like in this range. And so let me start by just saying the guys I like. I like more than half of this range. So Joel, I'm hoping you can kind of narrow it down for me. Sam Burns is really interesting because he's coming off the mid-tournament withdrawal. When I say mid-tournament, it was the first round. It was a couple of weeks ago, but it always kind of scares me when it's one thing if it's like a Webb Simpson from a month ago and he withdrew with like a neck issue right before the tournament started. It just didn't seem that serious. But when you have a back issue in the middle of a tournament, it just it just scares me more for some reason. Like I can't go on like that kind of thing. Um, so anyway, I, I kind of I'm wondering, Joel, where you're at on that. We don't have the right answer here because we'll have to maybe maybe he'll be at a press conference and say something about his back and say, you know, give the A-OK, which generally golfers are, are pretty candid about that. But he's a guy I've got my eye on. I'm passing right over Joaquin Neiman, to be honest with you. But I do like Matthew Fitzpatrick, Cameron Smith, Louie, and Shane Lowry. I, I just love – I love most of those guys on difficult courses. If the wind picks up, which it probably will at certain points in this event, they're going to be fine in that. And, and, and honestly – Recent form, especially for Louis and Shane Lowry, has been really, really good. Matthew Fitzpatrick has been a little up and down. Um, I like all of those guys. And then I'll, I'll leave you with this. I like Keegan Bradley and Charlie Hoffman. And I don't think I need to tell you why. The ball striking is great. Any model you run, any model you run, if it's last 24, 36, probably 50 rounds, 12 rounds, uh, Charlie Hoffman and Keegan Bradley are probably going to be in the top five. They're gonna, like, no matter how you did your metrics, they're definitely top 10. They're probably top five. And one of those two might be literally number one, like they are on mine. In fact, they're one and two. So too good to be true, probably. But I think they are really good cash game plays. And I think they're, you know, maybe you don't want to play both of them. If it's a single entry, yeah, you can probably play both of them, get different elsewhere. But just know they're going to be popular. So, Joel, tell me who you like in the 8K range. Yeah, so uh, this this range is, is pretty interesting. Sam Burns scares me. I think if he was eight thousand, I would maybe take a chance on him at a risk. At almost nine thousand, I think he's a little overpriced. And with the injury scare, I think I'm going to have to fade him this week. Um, you know, he, he had been playing great before this. It's a shame. It would have been a really tough decision if he was a little cheaper. But this is when I just you just kind of have to take a stance here, and, and I had to go go against them. Um, I think one interesting one this week that I kind of want to get your opinion on, Sia, is Cameron Smith. So my take on Cameron Smith is 
He's underrated. He's a great golfer. However, um, he has not been striking the ball well. He, he's a notoriously great putter, great around the green. Um, but I think he might run into some oh, my 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 catch twenty two is I actually think he's underpriced for how good of a golfer he is, but I just don't think this course and how he's striking the ball now is a good fit. So I don't know yeah, what to um, do with him. I'll stop you there because Cam Smith always seems like smoke and mirrors because he never rates out really well on off, like off the tee. He never really, really rates out well on approach. I mean, I'll give him this. If you look at his, the, the proximities that we wanted to focus on, he's, he's pretty high up there, you know, 150 to 175, 175 to 200, 200 plus. But generally on approach, last 24 rounds, he's 55th in this field. Not great. Off the tee, he's 70th. And, and by the way, that fairways gain stat that we talked about, he's not even in the top 80. So, but, but here's the thing, that's always the case with Cam Smith. And yet in these, in these powerful fields, in these talent-ridden fields, on these difficult courses, he always shows up because I'm assuming it's because he makes up for it with the short game because he's obviously going to rate out there. He's top 10 around the green. And with the putter, let's see, he's top 20. So, I mean, he's making up for it. And this is the right course for him to make up for it around the green. But I don't know how he does it, which is why he's such an interesting play, right? Because people are going to see these these very metrics, especially the people who are diving into all these resources, and they're going to be like, "I like him, but like he's not rating out very well." And I'm, you know, I'm looking at his potential ownership; it's not high. It's not going to be. It's not going to be over ten percent. I promise you that. So I, I think he's a good play. I just don't know how he's doing it. And now let me ask you this: I will. I'll preface this by saying. He's a better golfer now than he's ever been before. This year, he's in his he's peaked. He's playing great. However, he's got a pretty bad history at the scores. In his last five outings, mm. the best he's done is tied for 65th with three missed cuts. So he's wow. never historically done well here, which is another thing that scares me a little bit. But you have to preface that with he is a different golfer this year than he's ever been before. Yeah. That's that's interesting because there's a few other guys that that haven't been good here that are in this 8K range. Like I, I think it's Keegan, not not Keegan. I think maybe it's um, Charlie Hoffman. He doesn't have a great and Louis Oosthuizen doesn't have a great history here. But their recent form is so good, I'm willing to actually just like look away. But now that you mentioned the Cam Smith history here and the fact that his metrics don't really pop up, it, it kind of makes me feel like all right. No, I, I think I have to pivot off him, especially because I like so many other guys in this 8K range. So I think you have me convinced at this point. He wasn't really on my radar in the first place, but I mean, he certainly makes sense, but I, I like too many other guys. I'd honestly rather play Fitz, Louie, or Shane Lowry. The, to play devil's advocate, the, the only other side of the coin to say is to get a guy with the number of top 10 finishes that Cam Smith has this mm -hmm. year at $8,600 seems criminal, right? He's, he's, as well as he's been playing at this price, it up. but you're right, the metrics just tell me not to play well, and, and to your point, I mean, if you're trying to win a couple hundred thousand dollars like you are this week, Joel, I mean, he's going to be the lowest owned guy in this range. It's going to be either him or Sam Burns, or I suspect Sungjae's ownership is going to crawl up a little bit, and maybe same with Billy Horschel. I mean, even even right now, Ricky Fowler's a little bit ahead of, of uh, Cameron Smith, which is like hilarious to me. Hold Obviously, on, he's, wait a minute. I, I know, I know you were getting to Ricky Fowler because you always find a way to Ricky. Just like you always found a way to Jordan Spieth, and that ended up really working out. So I'm not going to make fun of you. But, okay, so so you can start with Ricky. You tell me the rest of the 8K guys you like. Yeah, so no, I definitely do. I like a lot of the guys you mentioned. I think we're pretty aligned on the rest of the 8K range. But I do – I think Ricky – now, 
like like Cia said, this is a GPP play. Don't go playing Ricky in your cash lines. I don't think that makes a lot of sense. But if you want to take a shot on Ricky in your GPPs and a big tournaments, I think he makes sense this week. He has and is improvements we've seen. Um, he had been in the since the beginning of April. Uh, well, he had played in the Valero in early April, and then in mostly in May. The first two tournaments, he had been getting strokes off the tee, so he had been hitting his driver better. Better at the PGA, he lost strokes off the tee, so it's a little bit of a mixed bag. But for the most part, he had an improved driver in recent form. He's had his best approach numbers in years, I would say, um, at the PGA. He was making putts around the green. Ricky looked good last week, and this course is a course that should suit him, right? This is a course that he's got uh, two top tens, uh, top 15 um, in the last five years. Um, it, a lot of me, a lot of areas are just pointing to Ricky to me this week. As, again, like I said, not going to go crazy and overplay him, but I do think this is a week where we don't have to completely fail him. I think I'm going to have some, some Ricky exposure. Yeah, and I, I actually thought his ownership was going to be closer to like 5%. I, I was on the first cut on Monday, and I said, if you want to win a couple hundred thousand dollars and you want to fire a single bullet into the big contest, make sure Ricky Fowler is somewhere anchored in that lineup because my impression was he's going to be super low-owned. Now, I mean, he's not crazy-owned or anything. He's going to be under 10% no matter what, in my opinion. But um, I see the argument for Ricky Fowler. I'm not going to be willing to do it. I'd, I'd rather... I'd rather take a chance on other people in this tournament that are similarly owned from a percentage standpoint, but I totally get that. Um, I did want to point, this is a, I mean, this is pretty consistent. This stat that TYC is pointing out never shot around in the sixties, which is pretty consistent with the fact that like, if you look at his history here, it's, it's pretty bad. I didn't know that, but it makes sense that he never shot around in the sixties. Well, if you remember last year, what's interesting about this course is they actually played two tournaments here with a back-to-back right. weeks or very Some similar back-to-back -back weeks, back-to-back -back yeah. weeks. And one tournament was like I don't remember the exact numbers, but like one tournament, like the winner was like four or three under. The winner was like fifteen under. So it played like two different courses. It was like one week was easy, the other one was really hard. So like you don't know what you're going to get here. It could they, how it's set up, the wind, what have you. This can play as one a really difficult course, or they can set up and it can play like another you know pretty easy course for these pros. Yeah, and, and by the way, you can look at that from last year. So, I mean, even though the course has played a lot differently, so I don't know how – it was the WGC Workday, by the way. That, that was the tournament right before the Memorial, and it played completely different. So I wonder if even looking at that really matters. Uh, I know Jack Nicholas probably took umbrage to the fact that these guys were shooting, like, you know, putt-putt scores or, or like, you know, par three scores. So he obviously made sure that it, th there was going to be some problems on his course. And since the renovation, I mean, like, I, I took a look at the renovations that somebody – posted something on on Twitter about Jack Nicholas talking about the renovations and just kind of there was some flyover, some drone stuff. It looks like a really tough test. I mean, he's not messing around. Like you are really going to have to be precise, not just with your irons, but with the short game off the tee. He's definitely going to um, ask the golfers to do like to basically pull out all the tools in their tool belt, essentially. So um, it's definitely going to be I mean, I, I'm really guessing because I don't know what the weather is going to be like, but I'm guessing the winner here is probably like 12 under, 11 under, something like that. So anyway, good stat by TYC. I don't know what else to call you, Inc. TYC. So if you want to drop a name there that we should reference, uh, since you're such a good contributor, uh, let us know. Uh, 7K range. Now, this is a gigantic range. So I, you know, I don't want to go through. It's not that gigantic, actually. This is just a 121-person field. But uh, you know, I'm not going to like read off all the names. But let me just tell you a few guys that stick out to me. And, and honestly, this isn't going to be 
the list in the entirety in terms of like the guys I like, because I don't want to mention like 15 guys. Uh, Gary Woodland pops out at me a little bit. Uh, Emiliano Grio, in spite of the lack of a short game, um, pops to me. Uh, Stuart Sink, I think, is interesting. Kevin Streelman, I really like. Charles Schwartzel, I think, is interesting. Um, and by the way, the differentiator between I really like and is interesting. Obviously, I really like means I'm playing them a lot. Is interesting is I haven't really made a decision. They're probably going to make a lineup, but I'm not sure if they're going to make multiple lineups. Uh, let's see. Lucas Glover is in here. I think he was the late entry. Uh, Lucas Glover's been playing great. Let's see. Doug Gim, I think, is a solid play. He actually gained with the putter last week, believe it or not. And this is a preferred green of his. I mean, to the extent that's even a thing, it is a preferred green of his. Matt Jones, I also like Taylor Gooch. And here's my big surprise. Aaron Wise really rated out well in my model. I really like Aaron Wise this week. And so that's going to be a guy I'm probably going to lean on just to, just to pick up leverage. And as I say that, I haven't even looked yet. So his ownership is going to be probably 5% or less. Obviously, everybody's watching this podcast in the world. So it's going to jump up probably to like 7 or 8%. I still like Aaron Wise. I think he's a really smart play this week. He's not really in people's consciousness, but he's a really good golfer, and he rated out really well. I think he was 21st in my model, which is pretty good considering this range, and I think the upside is there for him. So those are most of the 7K guys that I like. I didn't mention Cameron Chingali. I don't think I'm going to be on him this week. He's pretty popular. I don't mind him. I'm just not going to be on him. I didn't mention Matt Wallace. I don't think I'm going to be on him. Um, I didn't mention Kazire, which you know I should have been on, on, on him last week, and I wasn't, and I didn't mention Chris Kirk. Uh, I kind of thought he gave up on Sunday. It was super discouraging. He was in one of my big six for sixes, and he shot seven over par, tied for second worst on the course. The worst guy was DA points, I believe, just to give you some perspective on how bad Chris Kirk was. But 7K range, who do you like, Joel? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think this is a good thing. For the most part, a lot of our picks are very much on alignment in this range. So um, I think you know that's good. I think we're, we're, we're seeing a lot of the same guys. I'll just kind of walk through what my poll is. Like, I, I like Woodland a good amount. Um, I got you didn't have a small amount of Mark Leishman. Uh, Mark, Mark Leishman plays less of the metrics and more. I think he's a better golfer than the price. So mm -hmm. a guy who has enough upside for GPPs, you can build out, you know, some lineup. So he's a GPP play for sure. Um, I love Emiliano Grio and his approach numbers have been, you know, for this price range, you can't beat it. So it's, it's like you're, you're, you're finding value there. I like Grio a lot. Not only that, he says a really Grio has a really good course history. He's got uh, 9th, 23rd, 40th, and 11th in his last five. Granted, he missed the cut the last time out. I think he's playing better now than he probably was this time, you know, last year. Um, I'm going to go down. Another guy, another guy you, you didn't mention this range that, that could be interesting is Cameron Tringali. Again, he's a guy that, you know, if he was if he was priced another $1,000 up, uh, I don't think anyone would blink an eye. So, again, it's a value play here. Uh, you, to get a guy you can round that line with at, at that price uh, makes a lot of sense to me. You know, I, I like Strillman a lot. I like Sink. I'm with you on all those guys. Uh, I like Kazire. Kazire's coming off two uh, tied for thirds in a row. His his, uh, his approach is just, you know, he's just crushing the ball right now. So you, you can't get any better than that. But someone you didn't mention here who's interesting who's really kind of a course specialist, happens to be playing pretty well. Uh, coming off a tie for eighth at the Charles Schwab is, is Brendan Todd. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if you want to look at fairways gain, he's probably one of the most accurate off the tee drivers there is on tour. Uh, he's had some really, he's done really well here in the past. And, you know, he, at the bottom of the range at, you know, 7,200, you know, that's, you know, you can really get creative with your lineups of what you want to do up top with him in there. 
Yeah, it's interesting. So uh, Sicily Kid, otherwise known as uh, Stephen Pilardi, who will be having our We'll be publishing our ownership article tomorrow around probably 6 p.m. every night. Uh, that's a really, really good article. He puts his picks in there and he puts ownership numbers, which are honestly more accurate than any of the ownership numbers I've seen anywhere else. So everybody at windowlysports.com is very familiar with that article because everybody waits on it. I wait on it because I need that for my secret weapon. But the reason I bring him up is because he was on Brendan Todd last week. And, and if you looked at Brendan Todd's metrics prior to last week, they were garbage. It was not the Brendan Todd of old. He has not been the Brendan Todd of old for, I don't know, like six months. And me and Patrick were kind of like questioning. Stephen were like, what, where are you getting this from? Like, why is it Todd week this week? Like, what, and, and he was excellent. And Stephen had a lot of shares of him. And boom, Todd completely went off. The only pushback I have here, you know, with, uh, with Tringali and Todd, I feel like those longer iron proximities. And I know I'm kind of like splitting hairs here a little bit. But we, we do have more... 150 to 175, 175 to 200 than tour average here. You know, not much more than tour average, you know, but more, you know, a few more shots that they're going to have to take every day from those ranges. And I just, I don't think those guys are as good with the longer irons. And so that's my, that's my one issue there. But honestly, I'm not going to argue against either of those guys. Todd was completely locked in last week. He really, truly looked like the Brandon Todd of old. So at 7,100, he is, yeah, 7,200. I think he's a, a super smart play. So I, I like that quite a bit. Are you going to be on any Taylor Gooch? You know, heading into the week before pre-research, I, I was assuming I would be. After looking at taking a deeper dive into his numbers, you know, lack of a better way of saying it, I was unimpressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is a guy that I think, you know, when looking for value, you know, he outperforms his price tag more often than not. So if, if you're playing a GPP, I, I, I'm okay with him, but – I wouldn't chase him in, in smaller tournaments. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, all right, anybody else in the seven K range that you wanted to you wanted to point out, or should we just move to the six K range? Let's go. Let's go to the six K range. So, I, let me just start with the guy sort of towards the top, and then we can talk about the, the outlier that that is um, in the low six K range. I'll, I'll just give you some guys at the top that that I like, don't love. Uh, Troy Merritt, he's been playing really well lately, and, and it's reflected in his ownership number. It looks like he's going to be in that you know, at least five to 7% range. And that's a lot for a 6K guy, for those of you that are listening. Uh, Alexander Norton, uh, tough track. He has a pretty good all-around game. I, I do like him. Uh, Adam Hadwin, I think he's just playing a lot better lately. So I don't think he's going to jump out at you from a strokes game standpoint, but I, I do think he is, he's playing well. And if, you know, this might not be the course for him, but I think he's worth taking a shot on. Uh, other than that, I, I think it's really those guys. In the, I mean, I think Brandon Steele is interesting. I, I don't know that I'm going to play him. But listen, there's two guys that are at 6,100. And, and Joel, maybe you want to start there. I, I One of them in particular like makes no sense. Now, I understand this is a shorter field. So it's 121 people. And, and there's not like special invites and exemptions and like just kind of weird players that nobody's ever heard of. So there's something to be said for, well, this tournament, it makes sense for some like good names to be in that lower 6k range, but there's one that like definitely doesn't make sense. That was definitely either a conscious mistake, like because they wanted to like draw people's attention to DraftKings or something, which is clever, or it was just, you know, somebody messed up and, you know, there's no consequences to messing up on DraftKings. It's just kind of one of those things, you know, last week we had Vincent Whaley, at a low price. I think he was 6,100, but that's Vincent Whaley. Like he had made seven, eight cuts in a row, fourth longest streak on tour. Still, people didn't really know his name. At least we did, but most people didn't know his name. But this is a name. This is a name that 
has been good on this course. Really good. Not just good, like really, really good. This is a name that has been really good recently, the last four or five tournaments. This is a guy who probably a good course fit if you can get the putter rolling. And drum roll, please. Joel, I assume you know who I'm talking about? Of course I know who you're talking about. Obviously, it's Robbie Shelton, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> he's going to end up being the guy. Him, him and, and Tagala are going to end up being the guys somehow. No, it, it's Kyle Stanley. It, it doesn't make any sense how – whoever's job it is to make salaries, like, you're right. They either made a huge mistake, which doesn't seem like that's possible, or they did something intentionally. Like, I don't – it just it doesn't add up. He has a great course history. He's coming off the top ten. Like, why – Price at sixty one hundred. I have no idea. Now, what I do think, I just have this like hunch because like this is how things usually work. Like everything on paper is saying this price makes no sense. We should be jamming him in. Uh, but you know, golf isn't perfect, and that doesn't mean he's gonna. You know, he's still like on the scheme of things, an average golfer at best, right? He's priced as a way below average golfer. Can an average golfer have a bad round? Of course. So like, I wouldn't go crazy and have him in every lineup because. At the end of the day, he's just an average golfer that just happened to the wall, of course, and he could miss the cut. And I actually have a think I have a bad feeling that like because of the mispricing, like everyone's gonna overplay him and then something bad's gonna happen. So keep that in mind that while the price doesn't make sense and he's definitely worth putting into a handful of your lineups, uh, he can also miss the cut. He's just a volatile average golfer that you know would be a good fit. Like if he was normally priced at 6900 this week. He'd be under 5% owned. He'd probably be the secret weapon. We'd all play him, and, and it would be great. But at this price, he's going to be over-owned. And I just have a feeling something weird is going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's golf. So something weird could happen with Jordan Spieth. And we wouldn't be like, that's crazy, because right. that's what happens in this particular sport. Yeah. I do want to layer some perspective on Kyle Stanley, but but there's a couple people that have made some comments. First of all, Isaiah, one of our writers who, who actually published an article earlier today, which is really, really good. So again... Um, I think my article is free. I don't know if Isaiah's is free, but either way, everybody that's listening and honestly, like tell your buddies like windailysports.com. It's, it's the, we're super price conscious. So like it's, it's very cheap and we have articles, we probably have like five ish articles that come out every week for every tournament. We have the cheat sheet up there. We of course have discord where we're all active pretty much the whole week. So um, definitely check us out. But again, some of our stuff is free, including this, what we're doing right now. So subscribe to the YouTube page, tell your friends to subscribe to the YouTube page um, get on the site because there's a lot of free articles and a lot of free content. So you can track us and really not pay for anything, by the way, if you want the extra stuff, yeah, you can pay for that, but you don't have to. The point is we, we want to get, we want to help you guys as best we can, whether, whether you're paying or not. So definitely tell your friends just to go to windailysports.com, just track our free content, tell your friends to subscribe to us on YouTube, just by going to YouTube and literally typing in Windaily sports, you know, subscribe to the podcast, but thank you Isaiah for that article. And thanks for listening. Of course, and then any love for Ortiz in this range? I can tell you, Ivan, there's no love for me. And let's make it quick on this one, Joel. Any love for Ortiz? I didn't hear that, but I think you said none, right? Not really. Yeah, Yeah, not really. Okay. And then we've got TYC. Are you worried about Todd's length? And that question must have popped up before um, I gave my answer to his uh, longer proximity. So, yes, I am very worried about Todd's length. With that in mind, as hot as he was last week, and considering his price tag of 7,100, or maybe it's 7,200, uh, he definitely makes sense, notwithstanding uh, the issues about his length. I'm not worried about the length off the tee as much as I'm worried about um, some of the, the, the longer irons. Um, although off the tee, he's obviously going to be short too. So yeah, I'm a little worried about it. Um, 
Okay, so let me just let me just pick up on Stanley, and then we can talk about maybe one other guy that I want to talk about in the 6K range. So just to give some perspective here. So yes, of course, Kyle Stanley can miss the cut, just like Jordan Spieth or Roy McIlroy can miss the cut. But here's the perspective that everybody needs to know. Like when you're rostering Kyle Stanley, and I, I believe that you should in a lot of your lineups, but not all your lineups. I would never tell you to roster any single person with all of your lineups because that's not really fun. It's just not fun to do that. I don't want to have my all every single one of my lineups killed. Like, sorry, I do this for fun too. Like I make money. I have some big weeks just like Joel. Well, not just like Joel. I have some big weeks. They just don't necessarily have, you know, $200,000 or $50,000 implications. I guess it was a we hit 10K here, 7,500 there, you know, that kind of thing. But the point is I want to have fun too. So I don't want to flood my lineups with Kyle Stanley. Here's what you should know. At 7,400, you got Matthew Kuchar. I call him Matthew. Um, we have Charles Schwartzel. They're both 7,400. The reason why they're important is because their outright odds are 100 to 1. Guess who else's outright odds are 100 to 1, Joel? Who? Kyle Stanley. So that's the perspective that you need. Okay, so what, what I'm telling you is just like Charles Schwartzel and just like Matt Kuchar, they, th those two can obviously miss the cut. I happen to like Charles Schwartzel, but he's not a guarantee to make the cut by any stretch of the imagination. So that's the perspective you need. When you're rostering Kyle Stanley, in my opinion, based on the outright number on Kyle Stanley, which is an appropriate outright, outright number, in my opinion, you are rostering a 7,400 golfer and you're getting a $1,300 discount on him. And that's all you need to know. So, so it's it's a it's a clear and obvious value play. But you're not going to jam Charles Schwartzel, no matter how much the value is. You're not going to jam Matt Kuchar, no matter how much the value is. So, understand that you're getting tremendous value, more value than you'll probably ever get in any DraftKings experience you'll ever have in any sport. Because I truly believe that in this particular case. But with that said, he's still the equivalent of a 7,400 golfer who can absolutely miss the cut. So just know that going in. And, and that's why, you know, in my lineups, let's say I have 20. I, I mean, I think Kyle Stanley's probably going to be in like eight to nine of them. And I'm going to, I'm definitely going to be overweight on the field. Like the field's probably going to be in the 15 to 20% range, maybe in the bigger single entries, maybe exceeding 20% potentially. But I, I'd like to be higher than that. I'd like to be, because I, I believe in, I've been touting Kyle Stanley, by the way, for a month. I, on this show and on the first cut, I've been a big fan of Kyle Stanley. So I'm not going to like abandon ship because of ownership. Like that's I, like, I, I'll be overweight if anything. I'll add to that. One thing I, I've mentioned this before, but one strategy I employ all the time is, you know, cause I've made this mistake myself. So what happens is you build a player pool, right? You're, you're playing multiple lineups. Maybe you end up having 15, 20 golfers total that you're, you're playing throughout. Golf's a fickle sport. A guy could, you know, just get cold one day. If your number one guy is the guy that gets cold, but your two through seven are the leaderboard, are the one through five, then if you locked in your number one guy to every lineup, you're not going to win if he misses the cut. And mm -hmm. everyone else you hit on, but you can't win because you put one guy in all your lineups. So you diversify. Even if you love one guy more than anyone else, if your two through six do really well and you don't have that same guy in every lineup, you can still win money. And so – that's what mm -hmm. golf is. You know, if, you, if you're making smart picks on the top 10, eventually, overall, you should make money in the long term. Yeah, exactly. I mean, golf is a very frustrating sport because you can go a week and just get completely smashed. But you have to, like with golf, unfortunately, the sample size has to be really big. We only get one shot at this per week, whereas like in MLB, it's a new slate every day. So you can just bounce back real quick. Well, that's not how it works in golf, unfortunately. And, and unfortunately, golf, like in football, that's easy. I can predict volume and I can predict output uh, over volume. But in golf, there's no volume. 
like you all get the same number of shots, especially if you make the cut. So it's like it's a very hard sport for that reason, too, that you're going to find more consistency in the sports where you you know volume in the NBA. You generally know the minutes people are going to play, not in, unless there's foul trouble. In the NFL, you know how, much, how many touches a running back is going to get or generally how many touches a receiver might get. So that's why golf is hard. But if the sample size is big enough and you're making smart plays, um, you probably and you'll probably get some big hits and that's the, like it's the big hit that kind of sustains you same with the double ups i've gotten back into double ups over the last few weeks and boom i don't hit them all but i hit a lot of them and it's really sustaining that bankroll i think when people hear sustaining the bankroll it goes in one ear out the other because like that's not fun like i want to i want to hit big but you can do both you can do a hundred dollars worth of double ups and a hundred dollars worth of gpps or you know, maybe you want to do $100 of double ups and $200 of GPPs. At least you're still sustaining some element of a bankroll. So got to keep that stuff in mind. The only other guy, Joel, in the 6K range I want to mention, he missed the cut by one stroke last week. I was big on him, so I screwed up. His name is Russell Knox, and he's also 6,100. And it's funny because I think he's a, such a funny pivot. Like, you're, you're thinking about pivots in the low 6K range. Like, it doesn't even make any sense, right? But I think Russell Knox, like, listen, he's, he's 6,100 for a reason. He's he rates out really well on approach, but unfortunately, those proximities that we're talking about, like he's he's a little sketchy, 175 to, to 200, and he's very sketchy with the putter. But okay, he's 6100, and we know he's capable. We know he's done well lately. And again, on approach, 14th in the field over the last 24 rounds. Like you can't ask much for much more than that. So if you're in a if you're in a big tournament and you don't want to do the Kyle Stanley thing and you just want to be different, you want to like single bullet one of these big, you know, 150 max. I think Russell Knox is super smart. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, no. So it's funny. When I created my model this week and it spit out two guys priced at 6,100 in my top 10, I was like, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> they were eight and nine. So you're right. I mean, they were, I, my, where I ran my model, they were right next to each other. Um, I think Russell Knox is a lot of times that even if you want to get creative and do something like, which I had a lot of fun with building lineups so far, doing Knox and Stanley in the lineup. Yeah. And gives you the freedom to really go nuts up top and kind of take whatever else you want. So, um, you know, you can do that. Stanley and Knox don't have to win the tournament. They have to the cut. They probably got to be top 30, but that's it. And then you get, you know, four of those top 10 finishers up top. You'll be making money this week. If you're doing a 20 max, like, let's say, let's like keep it like fun, like a, a $1 or $3 20 max. Like, why wouldn't you invest like three of those lineups into a Knox-Stanley combo? You got 17 more where you can pepper in one of those. Or, or you know none of those like that totally makes sense if you go knock stanley i know it sounds ridiculous but it only sounds ridiculous because of their price tag right now rewind this a week ago yeah. and if we're talking about knock stanley we're like yeah knock stanley that they're going to anchor the bottom of my lineup and then you know i'm going to take these four other guys so you go knock stanley oh my gosh the the money like you can get basically any guy in the 9k range you want with the with your the rest of your four plays and the last thing I'll add to that is, you know, most weeks C and I are like, you know, ignore the below 6,500 range. Just don't play those guys. It's a losing effort. To help you mentally get over that, you can play Knox and Stanley as if they were 7,000 flat golfers because mm -hmm. they normally are that, right? So, you know, it seems like it's just a mispricing. You can feel confident. Like like we said, play them as 7,000 golfers. So don't play them in all your lineups. But if you were 7K instead of 6.1, you'd be comfortable playing them in whatever percentage you would. Totally agree. Uh, we have a question here. This is interesting because so TYC says, what are your thoughts on Norlander at 6,400? So I can tell you, um, Joel, I'll let you answer too, but 
I was big on Norlander at the beginning of the year because I saw the potential he exhibited late last year. I think we were on him late last year too, Joel. You might have been first to market on Norlander, like right after golf came back from the pandemic. I'm talking like June, July, August. And he was sort of crushing it for us. And then he completely went away. I think it was the putter that really got him in trouble. But honestly, the ball striking was kind of sketchy too. He had a really good week last week for him. I don't think I can do it. I don't think I'm touching Norlander. I understand the concept of being early on him, and I think that's sort of where the question comes from because TYC is a pretty sophisticated player just from the the questions I know that I get from him. But with that said, that's just not the chance I'm willing to take. Joel, what are your thoughts? Yeah, and and as he said, like, you know, I almost have a bias to Norlander. I love him when he's playing well. I want to get him in. I like him. I root for him. Um, My biggest concern with him this week, well, he did turn around his approach numbers, that looked good last week. His off the tee was so bad. And this is mm-hmm. a place where like, I don't want to be finding my driver at this course. You know, I want to mm-hmm. be dialed in and he's going to have to find it. And I just, there's a lot of risk with that. Yeah, totally get it. All right. So that's the, anybody we forgot before we get to outrights and first round leader, anybody you want to bring up that just off the top of your head, like, Oh, we forgot to mention him. Are we good? No, I think we're good. Let's get to the mm-hmm. outrights. By the way, speaking of Kyle Stanley, Guess who was number one Tita Green last week? Wasn't Jason Kokrak. Wasn't Jordan Spieth. It was Kyle Stanley. And if you look at his approach and off the tee numbers in the last, like, I don't know, four or five tournaments, you're going to see that he's been striking it real well. So, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not, not, there's nothing guaranteed. I promise you that. But this is an obvious misprice. Whaley, you can make the argument that it wasn't a misprice, although it kind of was. But this one's like, okay. This 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 should be this guy should be 7,400, 7,300, maybe seven thousand flat worst case scenario. But uh, we'll we'll leave it there on that. Um, outrights. Do you have any outrights? So I have. Let's see. I have one, two. I don't have a lot of fun outrights. It's just the first round. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give out four long shot outrights. I don't want to give any short odds. I think Victor Hovland's gonna win the tournament, by the way. But I'm just not willing to to pay the um the short odds on that. So I'll give some kind of fun like long shot outrights, and then I have six first round leaders. Joel, what do you, what do you got for me? Yeah, we'll we'll start in the outright market. Um, you know, I have a couple fun ones. I just think you know some some guys are a little bit mispriced. Uh, two guys that are standing out to me right now: Max Homa at 125 to one. Uh, you know that. I don't love him in DFS because I don't think the consistency is there. But, you know, you'll notice he'll go two weeks worth missed cuts and then, you know, get a top five or top ten. So he can pop in a week. At 125 to 1, he's too good. He can do that. So I'll, I'll take a small shot on him uh, with those odds. Another one even further down than him at 140 to 1 is Patton Kazire. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, coming off two weeks in a row where his approach metrics have been off the charts, um, he just needs to come in here and, and show some consistency with his putter, and he could compete this week at 140 to one. And then you can have a lot of fun with that bet. Uh, and the last one, and, and the, I guess the theme of the week is Kyle Stanley, 130 to one. I mean, again, this is a guy who's got a history with how many top tens here, and you know he can compete. Uh, these are really, really good odds. Again, it'll probably be one of the more elite range guys, but if you want to get in early at some really long odds, these could be a fun small small dollar bets. Which reminds me, so the, the odds I gave on Kyle Stanley were from William Hill. The, the Stanley, Kucher, uh, Schwartzel comp were uh, 100 to 1. But, yeah, you can probably shop for Kyle Stanley and get him, like you said, 125. It's probably, you know, paid down now. But he probably opened at, like, 200, 150 is my guess. I'm just, I'm just guessing. I have no idea. Um, 
I like that. By the way, and I do want to say this because you did mention Knox was like top 10 in your model. Just, just from a full disclosure standpoint, he was more like 40th in mine, which by the way is still pretty good. You know, top 65 and ties make the cut. He's 6,100. You know, you can do the math there. The, the, uh, you don't have to do the math there actually. It's like pretty simple. But the point is I did want to say like, hey, you know, he was ninth in yours. He was, he was a little lower in mine, but I still like him as a play. And I do want to point out the reason I thought of that, by the way, Max Homa is 16th in my model. I haven't mentioned Max Homa's name. I don't think he's a particularly good course fit, or at least I didn't. And it was because the around the green game has been pretty bad. If you go last 24 rounds, he's he's like almost 100th in the field out of 121. But I got to tell you, everything else is grading out really, really well. So it's I think the Max Homa play is really, really smart, especially in the betting market, because you can probably get a good top 20 number on him, given his odds. And the outright number certainly makes sense as well. OK, so here are my outrights. Interestingly, the outrights I'm giving you are William Hill, but the first round leader are going to be DraftKings because I don't know. That's just how I did it. Um, okay, so Keegan Bradley and Charlie Hoffman are both 50 to 1. I don't know about the win equity of those guys, but I think 50 to 1 is a good enough number. And then here's just a few fun ones. Actually, I'm just going to give you two more, and then we'll go to first round leaders because – Again, I think some of these guys at the top of that 9K range are probably better suited, your Hovlins, your Patrick Cantleys, to win this. So feel free to take a number there if it's good. But I have Stuart Sink at 100 to 1, and I have Aaron Wise at 125 to 1. Again, Aaron Wise is going to be my surprise guy this week. I really like him. Um, it's kind of a hunch, but he did grade out pretty well in my model, too. And uh, I think. I actually think he has some win equity, and 125 to 1 is a super fun number, so why not? Uh, we can get a first-round leaders now, Joel. Uh, do you have any of those? I do. I got I got a couple of guys at 100 to 1. Uh, so, again, nice. we're, we're swinging for the fences. Uh, the first one is, is Michael Thompson. Michael Thompson's nice. a guy we we, never, we didn't get to on the DFS side. I think he's an okay, got a low-range guy also if you want to – if you're still filling out the 6K range. But at 100 to 1 for a first-round leader play, I think he can get you one of those low rounds. Um, and really, um, the, the main point of this bet is 100 to 1. I mean, that's – that's huge value on a guy who I think can compete this week. The other 100-to-1 play uh, also is Martin Laird. Uh, Martin Laird is a similar vein. You know, he's you know over – I think he's a bit overlooked this week. His approach numbers have been coming on pretty strong. Uh, and I think he can get you one round, maybe – hopefully it's the first one, to pay off maybe a 100-to-1. You know, I, I was thinking about Martin Laird in for DFS purposes. So I'm going to have to deep dive him a little bit more. Uh, I like that call. I think Martin Laird has been striking it really well. I just, I'm just not 100% sure if he's the right course fit just from a DFS standpoint. And as I'm talking, I'm like buying time because I want to see where he rates out of my model. He's 50th. Uh, and honestly, he's only 50th because his putter's deplorable. And his around the green game isn't great either. But everything else, he's 22nd on approach. The proximities, he's pretty, he's pretty good at, not great. Um, yeah, that's an, that's an interesting first round leader. Okay, I've got six of them. I only gave you three outright, so it gives me some cause to like throw in an extra first round leader. So let's get started. I have to give you the chalk first round leader guy, and it's Charlie Hoffman. I'm just going to like pick Charlie Hoffman as a first round leader all the time. He hasn't been doing it recently, but typically he shines on, on a day one. So 50 to 1 on Charlie Hoffman, that's fine. You know, throw five bucks on that. It's fun, but it's not super fun. Kevin Streelman's been really good lately. He rates out of well my model. I'm going to be playing him in DFS. He's 55 to 1. Uh, throw some, throw some, maybe six or seven bucks on that. I don't know. Depending on, we, we, we got to talk about, you know, bankroll management here. Maybe first round leader plays aren't the play, but but 
two, three bucks on Kevin Streelman. That makes sense. I'll give you where you need to put in like your thousands of dollars, but let's go to the next guy, Sam Burns. Okay. So if we don't want to take him in DFS, which totally makes sense, I don't know that I want to take him over four days, but maybe the back injury is like a nothing thing. And so if I'm getting Sam Burns at 60 to one, I know how hot this guy can get. I don't think he's the best closer in the world, even though he recently did it. But I think I think that's kind of an interesting first round leader because we have no idea where his game is at. And if it's at the elite level that he left off with, I think 60 to one is a fun number. All right. Three more. Stuart Sink at 80 to one. If you recall, I almost hit a Stuart Sink first round leader, but it was Cam Smith of all people who came back and one upped him. It's probably like a month, month and a half ago. And I had a 90 to one Stuart Sink. So I'll go back to Stuart Sink at 80 to one. Not super confident in that. What I am confident about is the following two guys at 90 to one. Okay, so both of these guys are 90 to one. And so this is something I've never done before. Joel, I'm going to give you the breaking news as to who the first round leaders, leaders are going to be post Thursday afternoon at the Memorial Tournament. So, you know, characteristically, of course, I give you the first round leader. And I give it a couple days in advance because I want to make sure you gather all your money and you put it on this first round leader so you can buy a house or a car or something lovely for your significant other. But this time I happen to know because I'm a wizard that two guys are going to be tied for first place after Thursday at the Memorial Tournament in Dublin, Ohio, 2021. And I'm telling you on a Tuesday night that those two people that will be tied for first place at the end of round one, at the Memorial Tournament, it's none other than, listen, we've talked about him, Aaron Wise and Kyle Stanley, both 90 to one, throw all your money on both of those guys. Uh, yes, you could pick one, it'll be pro rata, but you wanna have both first round leaders in pocket so you can, you can flash that on Twitter, right? Instagram, whatever social medium you're on. You wanna be like, I picked them both, not just one. Am I right, Joel? That's a lot. I mean, I'm gonna put the 150,000 that DraftKings from last year mm -hmm. on the first round of Easy. Yeah, and then, like, listen, this is the type of thing that I think is, is really going to change lives. I mean, if you pick both of these guys as first round leaders, because if you just pick one and they're tied, you're getting the pro rata share. You're getting, like, 50% of it. But if you pick both, you're getting, let's do the math, 50% plus 50%, you're getting, Joel, how much are you getting? 250%. Basically 250%. <laughs> Exactly. So your first round leaders, yes, I gave you some that are going to be near the, they'll give you the sweat. By the way, all of these guys are going in the afternoon. I happen to think, well, I don't think I've seen, I've seen them, you know, the, the weather report. It's only Tuesday, but it looks like the conditions are going to be a little bit more gettable Thursday afternoon versus Thursday morning. So if there's a DFS edge, it's probably Thursday PM, Friday AM. So kind of keep that in mind. We'll flush that out over the next 24 hours. We'll be in Discord. Steven usually gives us our, our kind of like final numbers on the weather uh, around 9, 10 o'clock PM Eastern Standard Time in our Discord. But I do think that, that the wind is probably going to be lesser Thursday PM. So my first round leaders are going to be the afternoon slight. Typically, it's the other way around, but, but not this tournament. So Joel, uh, that's, I mean, Aaron Wise and Kyle Stanley, first round leaders. Uh, I forgot to say, you're welcome, America. By the way, happy Memorial Day. Uh, any, anything else to add? No, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, are playing, you know, especially playing seriously. Make sure you do check back on that weather, uh, you know, Wednesday. Make sure you at least have the information so that, you know, the worst feeling is that you turn on the coverage, you know, Thursday and you find out there's this big windstorm and you didn't know that. And you have all these guys playing in the middle. 
So just check in, you know, even if you're in Discord, and we'll we'll give you updates as well. But uh good luck everyone this week. Let's make some money. Yeah, let's make some money. Uh Joel's gotta win his hundred and fifty thousand dollars back. And Joel, thanks for indulging us on on how that all went down. Because honestly, I was so curious as to the chronology of it, and I was so curious as to like the psychology of it because I don't know how I would have handled that. I, I really like I, yeah, fifty thousand is great, but I just feel like I, I would have felt like I got robbed. And again, not by DraftKings, but by some rules official that really didn't have to make that call. He only made it because he knew he could, because he knew John Rom wasn't going to lose the tournament. I genuinely believe that if John Rom had closed and, and and was only up one, I don't I don't know that they would have made that determination. I, I don't know. Like I'm not saying it definitely wouldn't have happened, but I think they. That would have shaken up golf a little bit if all of a sudden John Rahm doesn't win because of something that looked so ridiculously inno innocuous and unintentional. I mean, what, what, where are you at on that? I think that at the very, very least, if it was, it would have had a, 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 a it would have affected the result of the tournament. They would have waited longer to make the mm -hmm. call, and I still would have won the money. So you're right. Basically, it meant the the, the sad thing is the person the that that penalty affected most was not John Rahm, was not Ryan Palmer who got second. It was me because I was the one who lost $150,000 on it. So by the way, the fault maybe instead of the Memorial Tournament official who made the call, I think the fault lies with John Rahm because he dominated that tournament and it, and it was, was up five strokes. <laughs> if he's only up one stroke, I mean, he didn't have to like, you know, that's kind of like, you know, it's fourth down and you're up like 30 in football and, and you run a pass play. Like, you know, he, if you took the foot off the pedal, you would have been $150,000 richer. That's messed that up. Is, that is true. That is, that John is fair. Robert. Well, actually, you know what? There, there's a, I'll give you one quick learning opportunity from it. The quick <laughs> learning opportunity from a showdown DFS perspective is this. Um, while I almost, I should probably should have won the tournament anyway, I almost did. The, first, the last round leaderboard points aren't that relevant because you need the birdies to get in the winning lineup. Um, yeah. th that week it worked out because it wasn't very low scoring. So like I needed leadership points, but for weeks that are low scoring, or you're getting low scores. Don't chase those leaderboard points on, on showdown Sundays. Right. Right. That makes sense. Uh, all right. Yeah. And speaking of showdown, get in discord. We, we did really well on showdown, especially rounds two and three uh, round four. My picks were a little off but rounds two and three. I was completely dialed in. So get into discord, get to windailysports.com, subscribe to us on YouTube, Apple podcasts, those that's your homework so get to it and have fun with the pga um this week's tournament the memorial it's going to be fun and one last thing joel sports, sports.